This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. So let me let me do some setup work, so so people understand um, why we're having um, this series. So again, it's countercultural convictions, right? So for seven weeks, what we're going to be doing is is slowing down and and talking about some convictions that are close to our hearts as Redemption Church, mm. right? Something that, that that these convictions they center all of us, they bring us all together. Yeah. Now. Even while we talk about counter-cultural, we're not trying to be like super edgy or, or controversial. Right. What we're trying to be is faithful. Yes. Okay? Yes. What we're trying to be is faithful. Now, here's the deal with, with being faithful. True faithfulness drives against the idols of culture, right? Yeah. And, and in that, this faithfulness seems controversial. Right. Because... Everything is working towards a particular direction, and, 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 and in your faithfulness against this idolatry, you start to stand out, and, and, and it seems controversial, but countercultural isn't, isn't making a statement that we're against culture. Right. That's not what's being said, right? Oh, we are against culture, and, and we talk a lot about cultural ideology, but it's not making a statement that we're against culture, um, but instead, God has called us to be in the midst of, of, of culture. He's drawn us inside there. He sent us intentionally in the cultures that we are intentionally placed in missionally, right? And he's, he called us to, to, to help shape culture, to help cultivate culture. And in the midst of the culture that he's placed us in, he's called us to have a faithful presence. That's, good. That's, good. That's the key here, a faithful presence. And this faithful presence is one that is not formed by the culture that he's placed us amidst, right? So oftentimes, it seems countercultural. You look at Romans 12 and 2. Paul is talking to the church, and he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good? What is acceptable? What is perfect? Yeah. Right? He's saying, don't, don't be formed by the culture, but instead, let the kingdom of God transform your heart, right, and your mind. And even when he's talking to the church, when, when Paul is talking to the church, he's not just making a, a, a warning, but more instead, he's making an assessment. Right. He, he sees how much Roman culture was shaping them right. and forming them. But, and he's reminding them that you are a people that has a faithful presence. So don't be conformed, but rather yet be transformed. Redeem what's good. Expose what's bad. Whenever we look at Jesus, you'll see Jesus and he's, he's countercultural because he rejects the idols of culture. But, but he's living inside of us, and we're going to talk more about that today. You see Jesus modeling love, this love that causes you to, to love your, your neighbor, right? Yeah. So as we started to go inside of this, and we're thinking about how to launch this series off, and we're looking how Jesus modeled this thing, the first step is love. The first step is, 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 is love. It's the, the lens of the entire series. It's the conviction that we have. So we're going to start this whole series off 
just, just looking at Jesus and, and starting off with the whole idea of, of love. I want you to get in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verse, uh, we're going to start in verse 7. And what I'm going to do is highlight some stuff here on the screen. And the reason we're highlighting them, I may not address them right at this moment, but throughout the sermon, I want you to see that we're pulling these things from Scripture. And we're going to try to tie all of this stuff together because if we're going to go through a series called Countercultural Convictions, we need to understand first, in order to walk in this way, we need to have what First John is going to be talking about and all of Scripture really talks about, we need to have love. Can you say amen to that? Beloved, I love that, that it even starts with calling them the beloved. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God. I want you to see this, because God is love. Let's go to verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. It was manifest by being Jesus being sent into the world so that we might live through him, that we might live through him. I want you to see this progression. In this is love. This is love. Not that we have loved. Not that we have loved not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loves us. Not that we have loved, but God loves us. Verse, sorry, I skipped it. Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, here's that language again. Beloved, if God so loved us, if this is true that God loves us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Notice this. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Even though they haven't seen God, if his love is abiding in us, they get to see him. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his, look at that language, of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God and abides in him and he in God. Notice next. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. For God is love. And whoever abides in the love abides in God, and God abides in him. Here's what I want us to notice as we enter into this series together. That is this. God is love, not love is God. This is extremely important if you're going to approach love. Let me tell you the reason why. Many of you already have your own definition of love. 
And what you end up doing is taking your definition of love and seeing if God matches your definition. You see, in the world that we live in, everyone is searching for love. There's more songs, poems, movies, Everything you think of in our culture is proclaiming their definition of love. And they're constantly saying, this is what we need. We need love. We need love. We need love. And everybody's talking, singing, writing about love, but they don't know it. Everyone has their own definition. If I went around this room and I said, what is love? Many of us would come up with our own. There's maybe 100 people in this room. I'd have 100 definitions. And the reason why is because we have our own idea of what love is. And often we can, like in Malachi, look at God when he says he loves us and us say, no, you don't. You don't meet my definition of love. Because the reality is, Scripture shows us God is love. Love is not God. So when you define love and then say, this is God, you will get neither. You won't get love and you won't get God. But when you get God and you see the revelation that is manifested to us in the Son, Jesus Christ, you will see God and you will see what real love is. When God is what you're after, you get love. When love is what you're after, you miss both. And here is where much of our cultural realities become because people can literally look at you and say, you're not showing love to me because I don't feel loved. You're not being loving because you're not agreeing with my life or agreeing with the way I'm living or agreeing with the things I'm doing. It's like you hate me, and so they'll call your disagreement hatred. Because in our world, in our culture, the only way to show love is to say, well, whatever you want to do, whatever you say, and so when the Christian love starts showing up and truth is involved in it, they start going, this is a hate group. Or when we get confronted on the things that are in our lives, because what the world has done is said, this is love, and if God is not this, then God is not real, and he's not truly love. But what Scripture shows us is God is love. Now, here's the important for us to understand. You will not be able to understand God or know God because you've defined him and figured him out. You won't be able to understand love because it's defined. So when you try to define love before you show love, you won't ever get it. What we have to understand, and this is what this scripture says, is this. Love is not known by definition. It's known by demonstration. We don't know love because we've defined it and we're living it. We know love because we know Jesus. 
The reason we know love is because God has manifested it to us and shown it to us. Have you ever heard of Romans 5, 8? Look at this. But God has, shows us his love. Here's how he shows us his love. For us in, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love to us. God shows us what love is in the person of Jesus Christ and that in our hatred of him, he still came and died for us. And so what we have to understand is if you're trying to go, well, define love for me, I can't, but I can show you the person of love and point to the person of love. And if you know him, you will know love. But if you don't know him, all you'll have is your definition and constantly seeking. And so in this, we are going to be talking about love, but we would miss it if we try to define it for you before we point to God is love. Absolutely. So with that whole thing in mind of looking at God as, as the demonstrator of love, as, as, as the person that gives context to what love looks like, all of us um, are making this statement just around Redemption Church, there's this statement as we're setting this series together. And here's what the statement will say. It says this. In a world where love is overly about individual desires, sex, convenience, or feelings, we believe that Christian love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another without demanding repayment. Or that the person is deserving. That's 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 countercultural. Yes. That's different from what from what culture says love is. Now there are there are variances to this. See, culture displays a love that is turned in on self. That's the type of love that culture displays. It's turned in on on self, and all the acts of love ultimately serve you. And it's not just for the sake of the other person. Even, even when you think it is, oftentimes it's, it's, it's for the sake of your own ego. So you want to be able to say, look, I did this thing. And, and, and even though you don't verbally say it, you are keeping those records inside of your heart, right? It's, it's sometimes it's for the sake of your own pride, right? Sometimes it's, it's what you feel will be returned to you. So it's like you're making a down payment. Right? I'm doing this particular thing, but I ultimately, I guess, I'm expecting this thing to come back in return. And, and, and then when it doesn't come back in return, in the time that you're hoping it'll come back into return, then you get frustrated and, and, you, and you blow out because it wasn't genuine love. It wasn't the love that's displayed by Christ. And, and, and some people serve in a way that, that looks sacrificing and, 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 and I'm doing this for the undeserving but there's idolatry in the background there. For some people, what you're doing is, is a reflection of low self-worth. I don't actually feel that I'm worth much. So I'm going to just let you do whatever you do, and I'm going to call it self-sacrificing. And I'm going to call it I'm serving the undeserving, but it's because you don't see your actual worth. So you don't say certain things that you should say. You don't want to rock the boat. Right? Because you have an idolatry of the relationship. You have an idolatry of, of, like, if I say these wrong things, I may lose that relationship. 
But these things are the right things that need to be said. So there's different things that are, that, that are um, um, impacting your love. But what, what we see here is, is as believers, our act of love are actually responding to God's love. Right? That's how we love one another. The love that we have towards one another is not primarily about the other person, but it genuinely loves the other person because it's responding to God's love towards us. You see, we've been called into a narrative of love. And we always go back to the narrative. We go back to the narrative because God, even when we left out of Malachi and, and God's whole argument there was that, listen, I have loved you. Right? We've been called into this narrative of love. You just, when we think about the narrative, you think about creation in Colossians 1, verses 16 through 17. It says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Yes. His love is literally holding all things together. God covenants the, the, the stars, the planets, and galaxies into existence through his love. His love is literally holding the cells in our bodies together. So you start with the narrative of love. You go to the rebellion inside of the garden and where even though God warned them, the day that you turn from me is the day that you die. And they turn from him and God shows up. And when he shows up, he doesn't slaughter them, but he slaughters an animal that was obedient to him because he loves them to cover them. Right? Then he later on chooses a people for himself, not because those people were so awesome, but because he is, and he loved them so much, and he sends them out to be a display people, to display his love to the nations. That way the nations will say he's a good, good God. And then just a few minutes ago, Aaron pulled up Romans 5 and 8, where you talk about redemption, where it said that God shows his love for us, and that while we was yet still sinners... Undeserving, deserving all the wrath, he pours it out on himself. And he dies for us. Before we had a chance to even repent or even know the weight of our sin. And then turns around and sends us on mission again. Go and teach them how to obey me. Teach them how to follow me. Basically, show my love and teach them how to walk in accordance with it. And we look forward to this hope of restoration, this time where, where you see all things coming back together. And, 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 and you look at Revelations where we see how all things will look. And in Revelations 1, 5 through 6, it says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. We see that in the whole narrative, God has called us into a narrative of love, and this is where we love from. This is where we love out of. Yes, and this is why it's important for us to understand that the way love was talked about under the Old Covenant or in law is different than the way we have access to because of the Spirit. Love as law is different than love as Spirit. It's interesting to, to think about how when the law was given, it was put on stone. And it was delivered 
from the top of the mountain. It was brought and it was delivered on stone. And then even when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest law? See, what, what we can often do in that narrative is think that Jesus was preaching to us the law when he was being tested by lawmen to figure out what is the greatest law. And what we, what we, what we think is Jesus is commanding us to do something. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Why is it that the law was given? Well, Scripture says the law was given to show us us how much we could not do it in ourselves. Oh, man, thank you for saying amen. They're quiet today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to try it one more time. I'm going to even sit back down. The law was given to show us how much we could not do it without him. All right, thank you. They, they get their back. There, they gave them a second. That's why the law was given. The law was given to show us of our need of Jesus. And so when they're asked, what is the greatest law, Jesus is saying it can be summed up in these things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you hear this as law, every one of you in this room is failing. Can you honestly say you're loving God with everything in you? Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You're doing it. Are you living up to it? And are you loving your neighbor as you love yourself? When you hear this greatest law, he sums up all the laws into these two statements. He's giving this summary statement of all the laws. There is not one of us that could go, oh, fine, thank you for taking thousands of laws and bringing it down to two. Now I can follow those two. It was just too complicated before. I couldn't memorize all the laws. No, he wasn't giving us just go, let's simplify and give you two laws. He knows he could give you one law and you couldn't live by it. When you look at love as something you define and write on stone and all of you have to live up to, you must admit, if you look at the love as law that you have to live up to, all of you are failing. I'm failing. The law was given to show us something greater was to come. And this is where when Christ dies on the cross, we receive this spirit that comes to us. Now, I want you to look. We read Romans 5, just a section of it. I want to read to you Romans 5 again, but just go back a few verses and look at this. And hope does not put us to shame because what is this? What does this say here? God's what? God's love has been what? Poured into our hearts. Liquid, not stone. The love of God is this liquid that gets poured where? Into our hearts. It fills us. It goes through all of us. And how is it poured into our hearts? Through what? Through the person of the Holy Spirit, who has been what? Given to us. I want you to notice this. The law only gives us stone that we cannot give live up to. The Spirit is liquid that gets poured into us, and this love 
fills us and it's given to us by himself. The only way we can have love living in us is if God lives in us. I I think some of you missed it. I think some of you missed it. God lives in us. By his spirit, God lives in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. His spirit lives in you. If we're going, well, how can I love people? I don't know how. I I try. I try to follow the great commandment. I try to follow the golden rule. No, God didn't give you the great commandment to say, if I sink it down to two, you can follow it. No, he showed us the great commandments to go. We need the liquid love. We need the spirit of God to come dwell within us and control. The only way we're going to be able to love is if God unzips us, gets inside of us, and starts loving through us. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. God is living in us and showing his love through us. That's what 1 John says. The spirit of God dwelling within us is where it is. And this is why for us who are used to living under the law and going around and just commanding on stone, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, and you're exhausted and you're striving and you're searching and you're trying to love somebody. I'm really trying hard to love them. I'm really trying hard. They're just so difficult to love. It's so difficult to love these people. I really do hate them. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. Because you do not have the ability to do it in yourself. It is only when we see that the very God who came into this earth and died the death we should have died and poured himself into us is now what ends up happening is, do you all remember in, in John chapter 4? And, and I, I, I just, I, I'm going to stop, I promise. I'm getting carried away. John chapter 4, when Jesus came to the woman at the well, she said, he said, give me a drink. And she's like, who do you think I am? We'll give you a drink. You know who kind of, and he goes, listen, girl, if you do, knew who you were asking, I'd give you a drink that would satisfy every thirst you've ever had, and it would become a spring in you that would spring up. Here's what you have to understand about the love of God. When it gets poured into you, the love of God satisfies every thirst you have for love, and it becomes a fountain that springs out of you, showing love to other people. God's love is never just limited to you getting your love tank filled. I'm going to say it again. God's love is never limited to you just getting your love tank filled. That is always running on empty. God's love, when it gets poured in, becomes a liquid volcano of hot, fiery love that just pours out of his people that cannot be contained. It is like fire that's shut up inside of us. How can I keep this contained? The very love of God lives within me, and it is pouring from me, church. The good news is you don't have to try to live up to laws written on stone. 
But every time you define it and try to make it something, well, as long as I do this, I'm loving people. As long as I do this, I'm really showing love. As long as you're trying to define it and live up to your definition, you'll always either be falling short or succeeding. Like all that God wants us to do is be either good or bad. When the reality is it's all about him living his life. It's not about making good little boys or bad little girls and boys good. It's about him having control of your whole being, living inside of you, bringing dead things to life. His love is in you, healing every broken crack, softening your heart, healing you, filling you, satisfying every one of your thirsts. And it's going to erupt from you as a fountain that others can come and drink from. It's, it's beautiful because you talk about this, this partnership that God brings us in where the only way we can love right is in fellowship with him. And this is what happens. Love not only shapes the way, shapes what we say and do, but how we say and do. You got to understand that. There's tons of things that we're, shape, that we're doing. And even if you're saying I'm doing the right thing and I'm saying the thing, love shapes it. Let me just read. I want to read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers that understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Yes. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Yes. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Come on. As prophecies, they will pass away. Tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Yeah. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Yes. I embraced love. That's what he's saying. Yes. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope. And love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It shapes everything that we do. That we do. This series will have much to say about truth and convictions. But if we do not have love, none of these things matter. Right? Everything we say is shaped in love. Love will lead you to say hard things at times. But you're saying those hard things because you love. Like literally, you know you're going to be rejected. And you know that it's going to go bad. But you love them more than you love yourself. So you're like, I'm going to. Go ahead and reject me. I, I, I get it, but I love you so much. I have to say these things. This is what our love does. This is what our Lord does. This, this narrative of love is the tone in how we say things. It's the smell of it. It's the texture of it. It's the feel of it. As a matter of fact, for others, they'll feel confusing at times because inside their heart, they'll be like, man, I feel like I should be upset with you right now. 
But for some reason, I feel love, and they're trying to figure it out inside their head how to just be angry with you. But you just gave them a piece of confronting truth, and they felt so loved, and they're confused. This is what marks the people of God, love, not just being evangelical, I'm just going to tell you the truth and stuff, but word and deed. Hallelujah. And word that's embodied by actions that are filled with love. This is what displays our king. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.